stuff and doing little quarantine projects and fire pits and all that. And, you know, one of the things that, that, that I tackled to work on uh, was our, our deck was really, really old. And so I, I went out and, and uh, was trying to, y'all heard me share this, just brought this up in my heart uh, as a, gr- a good analogy on where we're going this morning, but um, the deck was old and it needed restoration. And so um, I went and, you know, rented a pressure washer and went out there to the deck and, you know, if a deck isn't super old, it's going to be a lot easier to restore uh, because it hasn't been through so much. But this deck was, you know, it's, it's it, like I said, it was really, really old. And so we got the, got the pressure washer out and just started to, you know, basically, you know, try to, try to get all the gunk and stuff off of the deck. But there was so much paint and so much just oldness and decay that, that once I got going... Um, it was difficult to get all of it off. And so I'm the type of person that, man, once I've set my mind to something, I'm kind of like, we're going to make it happen, <laughs> you know. And that's a good quality and can be a bad quality too. It's a good quality when it's in a good place, but sometimes you can, you can win a battle and lose a war. And, um, and so I started restoring this deck, and I, I started realizing that I was, about, I was, you know, winning a battle but losing a war because in order to restore it, I wasn't just taking the top layer off. I started taking deep chunks of wood out, right? And then it just kept going, and it got worse and worse and worse. And then I realized, like, by the time I'm done, my deck's going to look like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just going to be, like, just destroyed. And, uh, but once I got going, I, I really couldn't turn back. And so, um, and so a- after I finished the deck, I mean, really, I kind of I messed the deck up because I had taken, you know, big, ch- I don't even ever done that with pressure washing, but if you do it too much, you're going to take big chunks out. So it's splintered, and it's messed up, and it's all over the place. And so I, I had to go in there, and I had to um, sand it, and, you know, had to get it prepared for to being painted and all that. But the Lord kind of brought that in my heart because um, how many know that, you know, we're, we're currently in a reformation? And uh, how many of y'all have ever been hurt in church? How many ever been hurt by Christians, Christian leaders? How many ever had a time when, when Scripture was used to hurt you? And so we, we're all, to some level, you know, in this body and online and really all over the world coming out of that. And so when, you, when, you, when you've had something hurt you, you can kind of take the attitude that anything that has anything to do with that is bad. Like I know people who've been so severely hurt in church um, that they've completely turned their back on God and they've walked away from God and they've walked away from church and they've walked away from fellowship and it was the result of the abuse uh, that they went through. And, uh, you know, how many know that, you know, things can be abused, you know? I, I was seeing a testimony of a, of a young lady um, online the other day and uh, she, I guess, grew up in the foster care system and was, you know, horribly sexually abused um, in the foster care system. And so... You know, in, in her mind, sex is evil. It's dangerous. It's something that hurts people. And, um, and, but how many know that, that sex is a beautiful gift when it's done correctly? Amen? But how many know that there's a lot of abuse that can happen in regards to that? How many know the same can be for food? How many know we can, a few, food can be abused? And then people can take an attitude, you know, that all, all food is evil. I need help here. I'm being surrounded by cuteness. And Come on, buddy. <laughs> Amen. I can't. I can't compete with that. <laughs> 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 I 
That, that's, that's when the wall comes down, right? That's good. I thought he had a shofar in his back pocket. I was concerned, you know. Is that a shofar or is that a Lego, you know? Um, but when, when, when someone has been severely hurt, they can cast all those things out as bad. How many know uh, that people, you know, myself, for example, I was hurt by my father. And so, you know, in my mind, all father figures or all people in authority were bad. How many know there have been people recently been hurt by police officers? And as a result, they think all police officers are bad. Uh, you know, Ethan and, or uh, Eli and I, we were at the uh, park here recently. We were doing some uh, hiking or whatever. And this super, super nice police officer came up and talked to us and gave Eli a sticker and just blessed us, you know, as a family. And, and how many know that, that not all police officers are bad? There are plenty of good police officers. There's plenty of good things. But when someone gets hurt in a certain, or, or, or even a race, even a color, you know, someone gets, gets hurt by someone of a certain color, they think all those people are bad. And what can happen is, is we can endeavor, because we've been hurt in a certain area, to throw everything away. And what I've seen happen in the church as this reformation of grace is happening, because really what's happening is a proper foundation is being laid in the church. And, uh, you know, we're building everything on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And so as this reformation is happening, I've seen people take it too far. And I've seen people just like when I was pressurizing and, and setting, you know, getting my porch, trying to restore my porch. There are people that are letting go of doctrines that are actually biblical and are actually good and are embracing error that's bringing forth destruction in their lives. How many know everything you learned before is not bad? I'll give you another example. One of the things I struggled with was the concept of leaders. You know, when I came out of what I came out of, um, I never wanted to, uh, I felt like leadership was bad. And I felt like everybody just needed to follow Jesus. And so what would happen, here I am, I'm supposed to be a leader in the church. And but because of the fact that I've been so hurt by leaders, people would come to me for direction or for leadership. And I'd be like, you need to talk to Jesus. Don't talk to me, talk to Jesus. And, and so, and there is a truth in that, in that your personal relationship with the Lord is more important than anything else. But how many know God has set up godly leadership in the church to help and to be a blessing? Can I get an amen? So I had a season where I would just push people away, and finally the Lord had to get a hold of me and say, look, you know, I've called you to be a leader. Chill out, you know, and, and help people and quit thinking that you're going to lead people astray. Just keep pointing people to me and everything will be fine. And so when a reformation is happening, um, there is things that are error and that need to be removed, but then there are other things that are good. Another example is the word faith. Anytime anybody would use the F word in church, the faith word, I would, uh, I would shut them off. <laughs> I would shut them down. Why? Because I'd heard so much teaching about faith, I didn't want to hear it anymore. But here's the thing. If it's in Scripture, then it's good. And just because it's been twisted or abused or hurt doesn't mean that it's bad. Another example is the husband being the head of the house. Scripture talks about the husband being the leader, the husband being the head. There are so many women that have been so hurt by that passage of Scripture that they, they toss it out completely. But if we look at it in context, it doesn't mean the husband's the, to lord over the wife. It doesn't mean the husband's to, to boss her around and be some type of dictator. In reality, the husband's supposed to love her as Christ loved the church. And if the husband can love his wife as much as Jesus loves him, then that woman has nothing to fear and nothing to be worried about. She can trust in his leadership. Now, the man can't do that until he understands how much he's loved. Uh, it, Jesus is always the initiator. But I just want to show you a couple areas where, because of abuse, we've, we've ended up stripping away truth in the process of reformation. I'm going to say that again. 
we've ended up stripping away truth in the process of reformation. And so today, um, this is going to be a different type of service. It's going to be different than what I normally do um, because the Lord really set on me and laid this on my heart so strong um, to address some error that's going on in uh, the Grace, Grace Reformation. Uh, this is not my wheelhouse. This is not my place of comfort. Uh, this is not uh, what I really like enjoy doing. I have certain areas of things that I enjoy doing. But God really, really placed this on my heart. And uh, actually, Grant and I are going to do it together. And um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach today. Grant's going to come in, and he's going to tie in and give us a prelude to what he's going to do next week. But we're going to take these two messages and we're going to address some things that are going on in Grace Circles. Because you have to understand, in this church, we, we, we minister to a lot of pastors. There's a lot of pastors that watch um, this live stream. And there's a lot of influence that we have by the grace of God, by the favor of God. And, and so there's also an element of responsibility you have in uh, carrying this gospel and doing it in a place of honor. And as I preach this, I'm not throwing an individual under the bus. I'm not attacking individuals. That's so low. We're higher than that. You know, I would never drop a name from a pulpit. I would never do that. The pulpit, the pulpit should be a place where we point people to Jesus. But the thing about it is the greatest way to, to see what a counterfeit is is to see what the real thing is. And if you look in Scripture, there are times when Paul addressed error. He addressed the, the error of Philetus and uh, how do you say those guys' names? Hymenius and Philetus? Ain't nobody know. It's cool. We're in Kentucky. It's Philetus. That boy Philetus, he's preaching the wrong thing. No, just kidding. But Paul addressed error, and, um, and, so, and so what we're going to do is we're going to allow Scripture to speak for itself. We're going to allow Bible to interpret Bible. And so in that, there's two primary things that we're going to address, and they all fall within the same realm. Uh, number one, we're going to address universalism, and that's the concept that people are saved without faith in Jesus, that everybody's automatically saved, and there's no need for anyone to receive Jesus as Savior. Uh, that, that is not scriptural, that's not biblical, and that's actually not grace. Um, and, it, and that concept actually ties into the New Age movement and ties into humanism. And um, it, it has infiltrated the church and tried to hijack the message of the gospel. People still need to believe in Jesus to get saved. Um, it's everywhere in Scripture, man. Now, and here, the real issue is, do you, do you and, and this is really <clears throat> kind of the plumb line, is do you believe Scripture is inspired or not? Because in, in, in order to embrace some of these errors, you have to basically say, ah, the book, it was written by men, let's throw it out. I'm going to embrace, you know, what I want to embrace. And I'm here to tell you, if, if, if you create a Jesus out of your own emotions and out of your own logic and by your own design, you have a Jesus that you're following, but you made him. And he's an idol. He's not the living, breathing Christ. And, and, and Scripture reveals who he is. Without the book, you wouldn't know who he was. You know? And so um, this, the, we have this book for a reason. It's to help. Now listen, is it perfectly translated? No. Um, do, you, do you have to get in there and study the Greek and the Hebrew? Yes. Do you have to study the context? Yes. Grant's going to be speaking on covenants next week. You have to know what covenant you're under? Yes. How I many you know people can take the Bible and hurt and abuse people? How I many you know people can take a steak knife and kill somebody? But you can also take a steak knife and you can cut it up and you can eat a steak with it. And so when, when, when Scripture is rightly divided, it will bring life. 
And at the end of the day, what you're hearing should bring peace and not confusion, and it should be simple. There's a power in simplicity. And so universalism, and the second thing that I'm going to address today, and once again, I would not be doing this had the Lord not told me to. You know, had the Lord not laid it on my heart big time. So I have to, I have to honor the Lord. That's what I'm, I mean. I, I love people. <laughs> I love relationships. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> when my life's over, I will put my crown at his feet and no one else's. I serve him, man. And so, um, and so that's where it's at. And, and so that's what it has to be. So, and so the next thing that, that we'll be addressing, and this is probably really the primary issue, is it, you know, there, there's, there's teaching circulating saying that there was no need for the cross to happen. Uh, that the cross actually didn't really do anything. The cross was just for man's mind and for man's emotions and to make man feel better. And, and because what they, what they do is you know, people are kind of offended at the concept of a cross. You know? And there is an offense to the cross. The cross was brutal. And, um, and so people from a humanistic standpoint say, ah, man, we really didn't need the cross. God was like, ah, it's all good. Just save everybody. We don't need a cross. I'm just giving the cross for you guys. Because I didn't, I didn't, there was no need for a sacrifice. Folks, that line of thinking completely insults the finished work of Jesus. Jesus in the garden, a son with tears in his eyes, said, Father, if there's any other way that salvation can come, let it come another way. Ladies and gentlemen, the only way that you and I could be in the kingdom was if the Son of God spilled His blood on the ground for us. There was no other way. Jesus said, Father, if there be another way, let this, let this cup pass from me. And so what people have done, because they don't understand what is going on in the realm of the Spirit through the cross, the Bible makes it clear, the blood of Jesus not only cleansed us, it actually purified and cleansed the heavenlies. The heavenlies were dirty as a result of man's fall. Um... And what they do is they think, man, that's just, that's a loving God. Why would a loving God do this? Why would a loving God, uh, you know, have his son die on the cross? And, and to me, that's, and I understand why people would ask that question, because it seems, it seems like an odd thing. But once again, I want to allude to, to something that helps me understand some things that I don't always understand about God. My two-year-old, me trying to take my two-year-old and change his diaper. We were trying to do it this morning. This morning, big old diaper, got to change it. So he's trying to watch Octonauts. He's trying to eat a banana. Dad, you are shutting my fun down. Why are you changing my diaper? Now, I mean, if I don't change his diaper and he sits in pee for extended periods of time, it's going to make his life bad. And those of you that have kids know it's not good, right? And so I got to change his diaper. Now, he's going to fight me the whole time, like a fresh and a new. Ding, 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 MMA. Let's go, like, you know? And then get upset at me when he gets hurt in the process and me just trying to take his shirt off, you know? You hurt my arm. I was like, son, you're, you're <laughs> trying to change your diaper. Now, I cannot convey to a two-year-old why it's important for the diaper to be changed. He ain't there yet. Ethan understands, 14 years old. Two-year-old can't. So here's the thing. I can't even explain it to him. He's just going to have to trust me. There are things in this life that you are not going to understand until you get to the other side. And, 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 and there's something about blood that is very powerful. And there is reasoning behind it. Okay? And so now, with that, I've, I've started. Let's turn to Jude, chapter 1. And, um, and, and so those are the two primary things that we're going to be addressing. But Scripture actually calls it something. 
what we're talking about. Jude is a very powerful book that exposes error. It's a very short book, but it's a very powerful book. And honestly, think Jude also addresses lasciviousness and grace. There are people that teach grace and teach that there's no such thing as sin, and people can just do whatever they want to do, and there's no sin or no consequence for sin, and that's not the true gospel. Uh, Jude addresses that. We're not addressing that this morning. We're addressing something else. Jude chapter 1 and verse 11. It says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the era of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now here are three examples of error in the modern day church. Balaam, Korah, and the way of Cain. We are only addressing the way of Cain. We're not going to address Balaam, we're not going to address Korah. But the first one that is mentioned here is the way of Cain. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And I'll give you the title of the sermon. The way of Cain and how it has tried to infiltrate the Grace Reformation. So what we're going to be exposing here this morning is the way of Cain. Now with that, let's uh, turn to John, chapter, 1 John chapter 3. If you guys want to turn there, I've got a few scriptures I've got to go to, and I really need to continue to move forward because this is more of an apologetics thing than an than a, uh, inspirational type of thing. But in, John, in 1 John chapter 3, in verse 12, it says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother... Why did he slew him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So we need to take a look at Cain. Because Cain is more than just a person. Cain represents a way of thinking. The Bible operates in typologies. And so the, Cain, Scripture declares that Cain's works were evil and that Abel's, Abel's works were righteous. So we need to take a look and see what was evil that, about the way that Cain did it and what was good about the way that Abel did it. So let's actually look to the account. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. And let's take a look at when, when this went down. Because this is going to give you some understanding behind the way of Cain. Because that's really what we're addressing here. I, I, I put monikers on it called universalism or, or you know, saying that there's no need for the cross. But scripture calls this the way of Cain. So Genesis chapter 4 and in verse 1. And we take a look here at the account. It says, now Adam and Eve, now Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, it seems pretty innocent here. I want to stop here for just a moment. I had three pastors contact me and tell me that they were praying over the message that I was going to be speaking today. They didn't know what I was preaching. They had no idea, but they contacted me individually. In other, in other words, just giving you an understanding of the importance of this uh, to the Lord. So, here, this seems to be an innocent scenario. Cain brings, of, he's a farmer, and he brings his fruit and grain and stuff to the Lord, Abel um, is a ten, you know a keeper of sheep, and he actually brings a blood sacrifice to the Lord. And so initially, it just seems like God's like, "Yo, man, I don't like veg veggies. I like meat. <laughs> you know, if you're going to bring something to me, bring me steak. Don't bring me broccoli." But but what we have to realize is there's actually there's something deeper that's going on here, and and I just want to kind of lay it out to you. It says, "And it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground." Now let me ask you a question. What was cursed after the fall of man? The ground was cursed. 
And so Cain brought something of the earth that was cursed. Okay? And then Abel comes, and Abel actually brings the first blood sacrifice. And the Bible says that God did not respect Cain's, but respected Abel's. Now, what I, what I want to show you, and I'll continue to prove this through Scripture, is what Cain did is he brought something without realizing that there was, an aware, that, that there was a sin problem. Cain did not acknowledge the fact that there was a sin problem. He tried to offer something without a blood sacrifice, without there being a sin problem. Abel brought a blood sacrifice, recognizing there was a sin problem. Abel recognized there was a problem. Cain did not. Cain brought as if there was no sin problem. Now, and the next thing that, that we, we need to understand is that fig leaves in the Bible. Remember the fig leaves? Adam and Eve hid behind the fig leaves. Now, those fig leaves represent man's efforts and man's self-righteousness. And the reason it represents that is the fig leaves was an attempt to cover man's nakedness. I mean, you know, God was not satisfied with the fig leaves, and God went and, had, and did an animal sacrifice and brought them skins from an animal to wear. So when you see fig leaf in the Bible, it's a typology that runs through Scripture. It represents self-righteousness, and it represents man's efforts. Once again, tying into the fact that Cain brought uh, plants from the ground, okay? Representing man's efforts, man's attempt at making himself right with God without a blood sacrifice, Cain recognized there was a need for a sacrifice. There was a sin problem, and he brought the proper sacrifice. Now, let's, let's take a look at it a little bit deeper. Now, here's the awesome thing about God. How many of you know God's a loving father? And you know what? God doesn't talk to Abel, but he does talk to Cain. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, but you know, not there's anything wrong with Abel because Abel's works were good, but God actually takes a moment to father Cain and to instruct him. And if you look at what he's saying to him, he's giving him a way out. Genesis chapter 4, and verse 6 and verse 7. It says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now here's the thing. Now, now what happens here is... We, we read this and we think, well, man, sin was outside knocking on Cain's heart. And that's kind of the way we've always taught that. But that word sin in the Hebrew is the word chata, and it can mean sin or an offering for sin. It can mean, and, and it's up to the liberty of the translators for when it's sin or when it's an offering for sin. The thing about the Hebrew language is there are a lot of words that can be placed in based upon context. And so, so many times we read that thinking it's sin, when I believe the proper translation is there's an offering for sin. And if you look at it in the Young's literal translation, it actually translates it like that. And I'm going to read, to, I'm going to read it to you right now. Uh, out of the Young's literal. Jehovah said to Cain, Why hast thou displeasure, and why hast thou countenance fallen? Is there not, if thou doest well, acceptance? In other words, God's saying, I have acceptance for you. There's acceptance for you. You don't have to be 
carry the mark of Cain. You don't have to kill your brother. You don't have to go in the way of Cain. There's a way out. And he says, and if, you do, if thou doest not well, at the opening, a sin offering is crouching. And unto you it's desire, and you rule over it. What the Lord is saying to Cain is there is a sin offering that you can use. There is a sin offering that you can use. God did not condemn Cain's actions and say, you're cut off. He came down to him, he fathered him, and said, there's a way out. But what God needed Cain to do was to recognize sin was real, and and there was a price to be paid, and the way out was blood. Amen. There was a sin offering for Cain. God presented that to him. Now, I encourage you, study this on your own. Study this on your own. Some of you guys are probably hearing some of this stuff for the first time. Study this on your own. But there's more, there's more places in Scripture where it talks about um, the way of Cain. And so the reason Abel's offering was accepted is because it was a blood offering. The reason Cain's offering was not accepted is he brought something of the ground that was cursed, not recognizing that sin was an issue. I mean, you know, there are people who are saying sin is not an issue. Everybody's automatically saved and there was no need for a cross. That's the way of Cain. And I'll continue to prove it to you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And once again, God's speaking here about Cain and Abel. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet spoke. Once again, God honored Cain's sacrifice because of the blood. Because of the blood. Now, what people, and let's turn to uh, Psalms 51. And so people, and and I'm just going to kind of expose how people try to build a case that there was no need for an offering. And, and, And here's the thing. Anytime a scripture is taken out of context and taught, um, you can basically turn it into anything that you want to. And, and when someone takes a scripture and tries to build an entire doctrine based around a statement and not placing it in context, that's when we start getting into error and that's when we start having problems. And so the basis upon which people build this doctrine that there was no need for a sacrifice, uh, it comes out of Psalm 51. And in verse 16, it says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it you, and you do not delight in burnt offering. And so they would say, there it is, there it goes. God needs no sacrifice. Man needed a sacrifice. It was man's issue, it wasn't God's issue. But here's the thing. How many know that that does make that statement? But how many know it actually continues? And there's more things that are said. So we can pluck that out of the passage and say, man, God doesn't delight in burnt offerings. God doesn't care about offerings. God doesn't care about sacrifice. Or we can read it in context and find out God was actually saying something more than just that statement. Let's read it in context. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it you. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a, a broken and contrite heart. It's talking about humility. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem, then, everybody say then, 
then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole offering that they shall offer bulls on your altar. He wasn't saying, I don't, I don't, like, I don't like the offering. He was saying that the heart is more important to me than what you're giving. So you can't just take that scripture and pluck it out and paste it on the wall and say, see, God doesn't like offering. Amen. And here's the thing, folks. Amen. All right, I just have to chill. I have to just do my thing. Amen. Come lay hands on me, Grant. I need to teach like you teach. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it gets taken out of context, and they build a doctrine around that. God's not saying that. Now, uh, let, let, let's turn to, um, turn to Psalm 40. And here's, a, here's another place where it makes that exact same statement. Okay, Psalm 40, 40 in verse 6, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, my ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Now, how I many know if you just read that, and that's the only thing that you read, then you could arrive to the conclusion that there was no need for the cross, and that uh, God could have saved us without the cross. But here's the beauty of this scripture. You know what happens? Paul actually takes this passage of scripture and teaches it in its entirety in Hebrews. So we don't have to expound it at all. We just have to actually go to New Testament scripture and see what he's saying. Y'all tracking me here? Um, and so what we want to do, we want the ideal situation is we let the Bible interpret the Bible. So let's do that. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9 and, and, and let's, let's take a walk through where the covenants... Are, 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 are passing the baton. The beauty of Hebrews, it really helps you understand the covenants because, you know, it, it, it's saying the old covenant's passed and the new covenant is now present and you can learn a lot about the covenant that you're under and the covenant that the children of Israel came out of by studying the book of Hebrews. But Paul addresses this entire concept right here in New Testament Scripture. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 it says, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Without his blood. Now, the blood of bulls and goats never saved anybody. The blood of bulls and goats covered sin. But you know what the real, the real thing behind Abel's sacrifice and all the sacrifices that were made by the children of Israel for thousands of years? They were all pointing to a lamb that was to come. They were all pointing to the Christ. They were all pointing to Jesus. They were all pointing to the divine blood that was going to come, born of a virgin, live 33 half years on this planet, never sinned, never fell short, and became the sacrifice for all mankind to where His blood purged the heavenlies and purged humanity and gave everyone that, had, that will make the decision to receive him to have that payment placed on their account and to be born again. And so, but he did it. How did he do it? With his own blood. Okay? Once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, Offer himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I think Connie read that scripture earlier today. For this, for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. 
So we're, we're talking about this is your covenant. This is the new covenant. This is honoring the work of Christ. This is talking about why Jesus did what he did. He just didn't die under the hands of Roman soldiers on a cross. He was paying a price. He was paying a penalty. His, he was unleashing his blood to speak better things than the blood of Abel. I mean, you know, Abel's blood spoke. Talks about it. His blood cried out from the ground. There's something powerful about blood in the realm of the spirit that we just don't understand. But from the ground, Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. From heaven, Jesus' blood cries out for redemption. To where I stand before you today, I have done more sin than, than, than probably this entire church filled with books written, all the sins in it could contain or handle. I've made more mistakes than anybody I know, and yet the blood of Jesus testifies that Jeremiah Johnson is innocent. I stand before you a righteous man, based upon the blood of Jesus, based upon the finished work of the cross, based upon something greater than myself. So any mistake that I've made in the past, I have a witness on the stand declaring my innocence. Any mistake I make right now, I have a witness on the stand declaring my innocence. Any mistake I make in the future, I have a witness on the stand declaring my innocence because the blood of Christ was enough to take away all my sin. All your sin. See, and so when you remove the doorstop of the cross, the entire kingdom will begin to unravel. And that's what's happening. It's being, it's being attacked in the body of Christ. You may be aware of it, you may not be aware of it. But it's being attacked because people are offended at the cross. And if you remove the cross from Christianity, we have nothing more than a New Age dream. And we are running in the way of Cain, not honoring what Jesus did on the cross. For, where there, is, for there is a testament, there also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. <clears throat> Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. So the first covenant, cut in blood. Second covenant, Cut in blood. There's no such thing as a bloodless gospel. There's no such thing as a bloodless gospel. And I know people get offended at it, and I know people get upset about it, and I know there's an offense in the cross. But, you know, truth doesn't need the approval of others to be true. Truth doesn't have to be politically correct. Truth doesn't have to satisfy anybody. Truth is truth. <clears throat> and whether you're offended at it or not offended at it, how I many you know there's an element of offense with the cross? The Bible talks about it. There's a, there's a stumbling block. And um, it's just it's, it's a part of the way things are. Because here's the thing. Man can't save himself. <clears throat> you can't be good enough to earn heaven. <clears throat> you can't be... <clears throat> you can't be good enough to earn God's blessings. A cross was necessary for the salvation of mankind. Amen? And so it says, Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all, the, all these things are purified with blood. And here's an important statement. 
Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's something about blood that is powerful in the realm of the Spirit. And this is not a popular message right now. But it's Scripture. And if we're going to honor Scripture, we have to honor the truth that it represents. It says, therefore, it was necessary that the copies of, of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the, so, in other words, the temple itself, there's a purification with the blood. <clears throat> but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. In other words, once again, Jesus' blood cleansed the heavenlies. There was something that happened. Remember when his disciples were running and they were going to try to touch him? And he said, don't touch me, I've not ascended to my Father. <clears throat> there was something happening in the realm of the Spirit where Jesus had to ascend and take his blood and clean heaven from, from the fall of man and from Satan's transgression. Now, does Scripture explain to us all of that? No. Does it lay out why? No. It's one of those get-in-your-diaper-change scenarios. He just said this had to happen. Now, I think once we get to heaven and our ability to understand will be increased and our capacity to understand will be increased, I think we'll understand why. But right now, God's just saying it had to be like this. There was no other way. And so... And then it starts going on and comparing him with the high priest. Now, the high priest had to make a sacrifice every year for the people. But how many know Jesus don't, didn't have to make a sacrifice every year? How many his sacrifice was good for, for one time? He only had to do it once. And then after that, he actually sat down. Why? Because his work's finished. See, Jesus is finished. His work's done. Okay? The cross is final. If we brought in this place this morning... Um, the, 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 the worst sinner, the worst pedophile on earth, the worst terrorist on earth, the worst rapist on earth, the worst... We brought Hitler himself in here. How I many know that the blood of Jesus is greater than all of their sin? And if in one moment they would simply receive the outstretched hand of the Lord's salvation, they would be gloriously saved, and they would be taken out of that wicked place, and they would be made clean and righteous and pure and given the same righteousness that Jesus enjoys. Because that's how powerful the cross is. And God demonstrated this when he saved Paul. Because, you know, if you were looking for the worst person that, that, that was the greatest terrorist against the church in that time, it was Paul. God said, here, let me find the worst dude on earth. Oh, this guy. He's the one putting everybody in jail, trying to kill Christians, standing against the church. I'm going to save him. And then I'm going to write two-thirds of the New Testament through him just to show you how powerful my blood is. Is our God awesome or what, man? And so Jesus sat down. The work's done, man. And here's the thing. The work's so powerful that there's, the blood of Jesus has, has literally paid for the sin of all mankind. All sin is paid for. All sin in the past, all sin in the present, all sin in the future, it's paid for. There's only one, there's only one thing that will cause you to not to be separated from the Lord, and that's not to receive Jesus. <clears throat> and that's why the Spirit of God convicts the world of unbelief. It's the unbelief in Jesus. Because here's the thing. The ship, it's burning. It's burning. It's going down. God's not the one who set it on fire. We set it on fire. 
Jesus is the outstretched hand. Say, hey, come on, get off the ship, man. Come on, get out of that. I got salvation for you. How many of you got to humble yourself to take the hand of Christ? But see, there's teaching out there saying that you don't need the hand of Christ. There's no such thing as sin. You're fine. As you're surrounded by flames. You're fine. It's okay. There's no right. There's no wrong. You do whatever you want. God loves you. God loves everybody. It's okay. No, the ship is burning. The ground is cursed. The only way out is Jesus. And I know that's not popular. We don't coexist well. I'm talking about that coexist sticker on the back of cars. We don't play well with other religions, man. We don't. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He's the line drawn in the sand. You can talk about God all day long and people won't persecute you. you can, rap stars can get up, rock stars can get up, thank God all day long won't persecute you. You drop the name of Jesus Christ and all hell's about to break loose on you. That alone should show people there's something powerful about what's being said. Because Jesus, Jesus, he's a narrow path. Now here's the thing. He's made it as easy as he can possibly make it. He paid for the price of everybody's sin. He's saying, look, all you got to do is receive. All you got to do is believe. All you got to do is take this outstretched hand. But it's so simple and so easy, we don't want that. We want a mountain we can climb. Give me a set of rules I can follow. Give me a sense of morality so I can feel good about myself. <clears throat> and there are people who the outstretched hand of Jesus is present, but they're smacking that hand away, and they're saying, no, 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 I don't need that. God loves me. Just the way, I yes, He does love you, and He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you so that you don't have to go down with the ship. Amen. I mean, you know, it's not love to tell a drowning man that he's just fine. It's, that's not love. If I see someone drowning and say, oh, it's okay, God loves you. You're going to be fine. I mean, that's not love. But there is a new age humanistic message that's unfortunately being championed by people who call themselves preachers that is saying that everything's okay. There's no right. There's no wrong. God, God loves you. God loves everybody. And certainly God does love you. And God does love everybody. But God loves you enough to not let you die. Thank God somebody came into my life and let me know that the path I was going down was the wrong path and I needed help. You know, as a drug addict, if someone just said, oh, it's okay, keep doing drugs. It's okay, God loves you. Keep doing drugs. Here, let me, let me, let me line that cocaine out for you. Here, let me, let me get the needle ready for you. That's not love. Love says, you're dying. You need help. This is the way. His name's Jesus. He's the only way out. He's the only way to eternal life. There's no other way. That's love. Will that ruffle feathers? Yes. Will that upset people? Yes. Is there an offense to the cross? Yes. Is it popular? No. Is it a man-pleasing message? No. But it's the truth, and it's the only way out. So sometimes you've got to love somebody enough to rock the boat. And we live in a day and age where political correctness is everywhere, and everything's okay until you name the name of Jesus. Everything's okay. Everything's cool. We love this. We love that. But if you name the name of Jesus, we're going to come at you with pitchforks and knives. And here's the thing. Many of those people aren't attacking Jesus. They're attacking man-made religion because they've been presented a false Jesus. Jesus is not going around condemning the sinners. Jesus is not going around um, rejecting and, 
and, and, and, and doing all the things that a lot of Christianity does. No, Jesus saves people like me. Jesus saves people that, that you know, Jesus saves. <laughs> he just saves. And he's the way out. But look, right's still right, wrong's still wrong, truth is still truth, and error is still error. It don't change. And under the banner of grace, these lines have gotten, they've gotten blurred, and they've gotten marred, and, 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 and there's been confusion, and there's been erroneous teaching that has put people in a position where they, can some, they somehow think that the cross wasn't necessary. That is not a God that is created from the truth of Scripture. That's a God of your own design. That's humanism in its new age, and it's telling drowning people that they're fine. And there's nothing love about it. Amen. Praise God, man. Love corrects because love wants to see people get saved, man. So, going back to the Lord. Uh, it says, He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. Talking about Jesus. But now once, at the end of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin. You're going to put it away. Sin been nailed to the cross. How did he put it away? By the sacrifice of himself. The Lamb of God. There was no other way. Fig leaves can't save you. Vegetation can't save you. Namaste cannot save you. Incense can't save you. Yoga can't save you. Deepak Chopra. Is that how you say his name? I don't know. Can't even say it. He can't save you. Gandhi can't save you. Confucius can't save you. Allah can't save you. Salvation is only in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just the only way, man. And, here, and here's, here's the challenging thing, because sometimes you'll meet some people that have embraced this ideology, and they're a lot nicer than Christians. Just being honest with you. And so you look at these people and think, these people are pretty, pretty cool. And these Christians, man, they're just, golly. And I know, I, I recognize and understand how awful the self-righteousness that is breeded through legalism turns Christians into. I see it. I, it it's one of my primary battles. But just because Christians are jerks doesn't mean Jesus is. Amen. So, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly await for him who will appear a second time apart from any sin. Because he's now righteous for salvation. For the law, having a, a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can always sin. In other words, Old Covenant was always sin, 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 more blood, more blood, more blood. New Covenant's actually, we don't really, we, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. <clears throat> I'm not going to stand here today and point out everything that's wrong in your life. I'm not going to stand here today and point out everything that's wrong with my life because we don't have enough time. <laughs> we make mistakes. We're not a perfect people, but we are a perfectly forgiven people. And the message of the cross is a message of forgiveness, not the remembrance of sin. Now, there is correction, and there's time for correction to happen, but the primary and the best corrector is the Spirit of God. And most of the time, the Spirit of God will correct people better than we can. But periodically in the early church, people got out of line and Paul had to come up and correct. Because right is still right and wrong is still wrong. I mean, you know, you can be a forgiven person but, but be doing dumb stuff and need correction. 
I mean, a couple weeks ago, I was just sharing my whole fiasco with my dog and me being angry with my dog and all that stuff. I come out of that. Thank God. I'm on the other side of that. My dog is no longer, you know, keeping me in a state of anger, but I needed some correction. I needed some help in that area. Amen? So correction is still a part of it. But so now he begins to teach Psalm 40. This psalm, the two, two passages of scriptures that I use that people build a case on why there's no need for sacrifice for sin, <coughs> the first one in the context explained that it wasn't saying that it was a heart issue, it wasn't an issue of the sacrifice, but now, thank God, a New Testament preacher expounds the Old Testament, and we have it right here, and it's so good. So he says, therefore, and he's, he's quoting Psalm 40, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offering and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. But then he takes, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. I mean, the blood of bulls and goats never took away sin. <clears throat> By the will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, in Psalm 40, he's not, he's not taking the concept of, of sacrifice and throwing it under the rug. He's saying the blood of bulls and goats couldn't get the job done. The Bible says if righteousness could have come by the law, it would have come by the law, but it couldn't. The only way it could come was through the Son of God. The only way salvation could come is through the blood of God. And so he says, by the will they've sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so you see where they try to take this passage of Scripture and teach it out of context, we see that's actually not what it's saying. Okay, There had to be a cross. There had to be a cross. And there's something, once again, there's something about blood. It has a voice. There's something powerful about blood. And I'm just going to read you this. Uh, in Genesis 4.10, uh, God's speaking to Cain about Abel's blood. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Cain's blood had a voice. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24. Just listen, let me read it to you. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Once again, I mean, oh, Jesus' blood has a voice. Amen? <clears throat> now turn to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> and, and, and we'll close here. And because this isn't, you know, it's not some big, long, drawn out thing, um, it's just an awareness. And it's just an understanding, and it's just a recognizing there's error, man. You know, and I posted something today that I think is really important to understand because people get involved in a reformation, they start deconstructing. Everything that's new isn't true. And everything that's known isn't something that you need to grow out of. Amen. And, and there's a lot of things that I learned in times past that I got rid of that I had to bring back. Like the power of my words. Amen. Like the power of seed. Um, that faith is important. Now, I can't. I have a hard time listening to old school faith teaching because it always makes me, it ends up me striving. 
and it brings me back under legalism, but faith is still a thing. But the, the, the thing that empowers faith is don't be, don't be faith aware, be Christ aware. Grace makes Jesus center stage, not my faith. You know, under the old system, we deified faith. Faith was our salvation. Faith is what we bragged about. No, no, no. It's just like if we look out this window at a sunset, I, and, and I'm looking at the beauty of a sunset, the more I get engrossed in the beauty of the sunset, the less aware I am of the window pane. And really, I should lose all sight of the window pane and be completely consumed with the beauty of the sunset. That's what faith is. Faith is the window pane you see Jesus through. Just look at Jesus, man. Don't think about your faith. Just think about the Lord, and you will have big faith. <clears throat> anyway, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul's speaking here about the offense of the cross. He said, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. There is an offense to the cross. And we're living in a day and age where if something's offensive, we try to hide it or cover it up. And the offense of the cross needs to just roll unhindered. Don't, don't, try, to, don't, try, to, don't try to make the gospel more palatable for the masses. Because if you remove the cross, you'll remove the power. The cross is our power. It's our boast. It's our victory. Is it gruesome? Yes. Is it awful? Yes. But it's the price that was paid for your sin and my sin. And if we, can't, if we try to remove that out of our Christianity, <clears throat> we have nothing more than humanism with different t-shirts. We have nothing more than the way of Cain. Trying to, trying to say there was no need for a sacrifice. Trying to see that, that my own works were good enough. What I have produced is good enough. How many know no man will get to heaven, knock on the door and say, I was good enough to be here. I deserve to be here. It's, the most, it's one of the most rampant and polluted, erroneous teachings in the earth that man can earn his way to heaven. No, you can't. You cannot. You can only receive the gift. It's a free gift through Jesus Christ. You can't be good enough to earn it. You know, we look at the Pharisees and Sadducees. They had their long robes and they had their education and they had tithed, mint, ruse, and anise, and they did this and they did that. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceed their righteousness, you're not getting to heaven. Where do you see a man's righteousness exceed their righteousness? Thief on the cross. Not one good work, not one good action, not one good deed. Simple faith in Jesus. He took the outstretched hand of salvation and he received a, a righteousness that was greater than all the scribes and Pharisees trying to earn something from God through their own merit or their own works. That's offensive to people. People want things they can earn. They want something they can boast in. It's true to this day. A lot of people don't want to hear the message of the gospel. Why? Because they want something they can earn. They want something they can boast in. No thanks, man. I've been around that mountain too many times, and I don't care how unpopular the message is. I don't, care, I don't care about that. I'm enjoying Jesus Christ, and I'm enjoying what it has done for me and my family. And I'm not going to adopt something that's more popular to feel good about myself. I'll take Jesus over all the praise of man, over the titles, over the paychecks, over the big church, over all those things. I'll take Jesus, man. Because he's better. And this is why I really believe the narrow path is the path of grace and truth. 
That's what I think. And broad is the way of destruction. I don't think that's talking about salvation. I think that's experiencing days of heaven on earth based in grace. God wants to give you everything for free through Jesus. But you can't take any credit for it. You just got to receive the outstretched hand of salvation. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Does that, does that frustrate your pride? Yes. It'll do more than frustrate your pride. It'll kill it. And your life's going to be a whole lot better when you stop trying to hide behind a fig leaf. Your life's a whole lot better when you stop trying to carry that idol of what you deserve and what you've earned. The, o- the only way to truly be free from yourself is to get free from that sense of self-righteousness and pride. And the only thing that will do that is, is hearing the gospel and allowing that, that um, hypocrisy, the leaven of the Pharisees, to be starved out of you. Amen. You ever spend time in kind of gray circles and around people that have a hold of this and then you get around some people that are still in legalism? And you're just like, ooh, man. You see all the pride and the competition and people bragging about this and that. And you just think, man, I'm so glad I'm not in that anymore. It's, uh, anyway, but there is an offense to the cross. And, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Amen. Uh, the cross is, it's our boast, man. It's our salvation. Amen. And um, with that, I just want to kind of open it up a little bit. Does anybody have anything they want to say or questions concerning this? Okay, I think the mic is in my bag. Okay, hold on, we'll get you the mic real quick. Ethan, will you hand uh, Bambi the, bag, uh, the microphone, please? i just give you the mic so that people online can hear. Ethan can take it back there, too. Amen. Please, go ahead. Just while you were talking about that, I got... Some people don't want to accept the cross because then they'd have to feel something. Hmm. You know, um, and some of it is pride, yeah. But another thing is that, you know, for a moment, Mm -hmm. they're going to feel the shame and condemnation try to come on them, you know? oh, my goodness, he had to do that for me, mm-hmm. and I'm not worthy of that, you know, and all these thoughts. There are some that don't want to look at that brutal act mm-hmm. because they got to feel something. That's, that's a good point. And some people don't want to feel anything. Yeah. In this generation, they just don't want to feel. Yeah. They don't want to take responsibility. They don't want to feel it. Yeah. They don't want to say that they did enough to cause that, yeah. you know. Or maybe they know they did enough to cause it, and they just can't handle the, the feeling of the pain. That it, I mean, you can watch The Passion of the Christ, and that's nothing compared to the truth, but it will make you cry. Yeah, Some people just don't want, they want to be numb. Yeah. They choose to be numb. It's good. It's good. Thank you for sharing that. I'll never forget when I saw The Passion of the Christ, it completely overwhelmed me. Like, it just, it floored me. I just weep the whole time, and then when the lights went low, and, and the lights went out. I screamed hallelujah in that theater as loud and as long. as I freaked everybody out around me, man. Y'all know how loud I can be. Every fiber of my being. Hallelujah. And the lights went over and looked at me. I didn't care, man. I'm snot and tears and wet shirt. And I'm just looking at them like, you know, like, I don't care, man. Because when you think about, like, that he did that for you so that you could be forgiven. I mean, there's nothing cheap about that kind of grace. That's the most expensive thing in the whole wide world, man. 
Amen. That's a good. That's a good point. Anybody else have anything? Brian, please. Ethan, will you hand her the herb? Thank you. Thanks. Um, something R- Ravi Zacharias says is that relativism, which meaning truth being relative, yeah. which it's not. Yeah. But when you present that truth is relative, yeah. then what ends up happening is you make a God in your own image. That's good, man. And that's exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. Is truth has been labeled as relative, thus the term my truth. There is no such thing as my truth. There yeah. is the truth. That's good, man. And when you create that narrative, that yeah. truth is whatever I say it is, yeah. it's the ultimate exaltation of pride. Yeah, it's good. And then what you end up doing is from that place, you create a Jesus that you think he is that he's not. And um, something when you're talking about the blood, it's actually a very cruel thing to not talk about the blood of Jesus. Hmm. Because the blood of Jesus did a lot. It answered the demand of justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my question is to all these people that say Jesus isn't in the way, what do you do with justice? What do you do with all the wrong that's been done in all the world? Yeah. The wrong you've done in your life, the wrong who what answers for that? Is it just go, meant to go unanswered? You know, the Bible says that the Lord hates unfair scales. Yeah. And something that the blood of Jesus is settled the scales for everyone for all time. His blood answered the demand Mm. of justice. God's throne is a one of justice. He builds his throne upon that. And when we're saying that that there's multiple ways, we completely we completely try to take out the very foundation of what the kingdom of God is. See the the fact grace, the fact that now. We are cleansed and righteous before the Lord is now a just act right. because of what Jesus did for us. It's good, it's good. We stand in a place of just justice now because of what our Lord did for us. And it's nothing more than the enemy doing what he's always done, exalt himself and try to get the image of man to be exalted above the image of God. We're like, we're, you know, where there's this whole thing. Surely God didn't say this. Mm-hmm. Surely God didn't say do this. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to even with what happened to Israel. When Israel was face to face on Sinai with the law, and instead they had a choice. Accept the law, see the law, see what the law says about them. What they do? They built a graven image. This is not a new thing it's, that happens. Yeah, it's true. It's so, not a new thing. So whenever it comes to with the offense of the cross, and when you face it, you're given two choices. You can humbly accept what Jesus has done for you mm. and live in the beauty of that freedom and that forgiveness, yeah. or you can exalt yourself. And the Bible talks about the vanity of pride yeah. and how people in the last days yeah. will rise up in their own pride and anger mm-hmm. thinking that they know better. Yeah. Revelation talks about that. The whole word of it prophesies this. And yeah, this yeah, is yeah. what's happening right now. Yeah, it's good. But he has shown you, old oh man, what is good. To do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's good. And that's what the issue we're facing yeah. is, is, is this, 
there has been a mixture and there's been an in, the influence that, it, and this has happened with every movement that God has done in the church. Yeah. When there was the healing move, when, when, you know, during the revival, uh, there's always been, there's always been twistings to try to get the church from truly receiving the truth of what the yeah. Lord has done. And, you know, and, and it talk, it's, it's the way of Cain. It's literally, there, it's the way of Cain. You know, and I used to subscribe to that. The truth was relative. And I used to argue it in my classes. Uh, I'd argue it against teachers. And uh, I, I used to embrace that mindset because it, under the concept of truth is relative, my immorality is okay. Yeah. I can do whatever I want because there is, you know, it's okay. And, and really, that's the driving force behind it. Um, and so, anyway, but when I met truth, I let go of that. Yes, can we, Ethan, will you hand that to Michael, please? I just wanted to yeah, please. second what Brian was saying. Yeah, please. You know, I don't. I think what happens is there's this fear that God is actually. We're going to find out that God is actually not good. Hmm. But He is good. Come on, man. Come on, man. And the the problem is, is that we don't see the full picture. That's it, right there. Yeah. And so, so I think there's this this fear, and so people get a hold of grace, and they will they see a side of God that is so good. Hmm. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. And then there's still these pieces that they don't understand. That's a good word, man. And then we want to solve that, right? Yeah. Well, there is a solving to that equation. Mm -hmm. But we don't have all of the variables that we understand yet. Come on, man. It's truth. Okay. And so that's where we get in trouble. And that's where humility is really necessary, right? Yeah. To say, okay, you know, and, and I think God, there are, there's these still these pockets of falsehoods that we're still going to find in our doctrines. That's right. Ain't nobody got it all figured right? out. Right? Yeah. But we got to be careful that we have that humility and we do keep going back to the word. Yeah. Keep yeah. letting the spirit lead us and, 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 and rightly divide the word. But justice is a huge piece of it. Come on, man. You know, um, because justice is a good thing. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Justice. I mean, if your son was killed by a murderer mm. and that murderer is unrepentant, wants no change, and the law system just lets him go. Mm. Now, does that feel good to you? Mm. Does it feel right? Mm. Right? Mm. And so that's not good. Yeah, yeah. But God did something. Yeah. He offered a new heart come on, man. and forgiveness. Yes, sir. And he paid the price, so and there is justice. Come on, come on, come right. on. Come so, on. So that's where I having a humble mind as we continue down this path of learning things is Ooh, just so good. is key because God is good. Yeah, yes. You know, when you go to Exodus 34, we keep going back to this, but when God describes himself, he describes himself as compassionate. Come on. This doesn't change that. Mm -hmm. He describes himself as gracious. Mm -hmm. Now, the, here's where God is describing himself, right? Mm -hmm. Then he says, I'm slow to anger. Yeah. Then he says... I abound in faithfulness. Hmm. And then he says, I abound in love. Yeah, come on, man. Then he says, and I forgive wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yeah. And then there's this little clause at the end, not letting the guilty go unpunished. Hmm. So God is good, but he's just. That's right. That's right. And, and really, that's what the cross accomplished, is it, it, it accomplished justice. Because we were all trying to make, we were trying to make each other pay. And God said, look, I'll pay for everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And now I need y'all to all forgive each other. Yeah. 
because you've all wronged each other and you've all been wronged, but I'm going to put the positive in man's negative and I'm going to change it to where I'll pay the price for everybody's sin. I'll pick up the tab. Now, I'm dad. Come be with me. That's what the gospel's all about. I'm dad. Come be with me. I'm good. I love you. But you've got to come through my son. You've got to honor my son. My son's, my, my son's arm is outstretched. He'll save you. Amen. Okay. Praise God. Um, amen. Thank you, Lord. Now, Grant, will you come up and kind of tag in on, um, and we, no, we need to keep all this on, and I just want you to share a little bit about the direction that we're going to be going next week. Because uh, we, we've, t- you know, we've talked about this and prayed about this, and, and, uh, and we just want to kind of tag team this. So, yeah, please, please, man. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 9 really quick, and just I just want to read something. I'll just take about five minutes. Yeah, no, but ahead. I do just want to add with what Michael was saying. Um, this morning in my, my daily reading, I came across 1 Corinthians 4 hmm. and verses 1 and 2. And, and summing it up, what Paul was saying is he was talking about we as leaders in the church. He says we're going to give account for two things as far as our leadership in the church goes. One, how we ministered Christ. Hmm. And then the second one is how we, whether or not we were good stewards of the mysteries of Christ. Wow. And this is what stuck out to me. He never says the mysteries that we understand or the mysteries that we got figured out. He says how well were we as stewards, how well did we do as stewards of the mysteries. Um, So here's the thing. As leaders of the church, our call is to not always understand the mysteries, but to always protect the mysteries. Man, that's good, bro. And so when we talk about the blood, there are mysteries. You know, there are things that we don't understand. But next week, what I want to talk about, I think will get us as close to understanding why blood that we can get on this side wow. of things. I'm excited about that. And so I just want to read this really quick. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 18 through 22. He, he read it earlier, but I just want to uh, tag on something here. Verse 18, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet, wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Now, what I want to focus on just really quick is up here where it says, the New King James that you read says, The book itself was sprinkled with blood. Now, that word book in the Greek is the Greek word biblion, hmm. and it's where we get our English word Bible. Wow. So when it says the book itself, we could read it as the Bible itself. Wow. All right, so it's saying the Bible itself was sprinkled with blood. All right, now, now I just want to look at something really quick. I, I made these notes. Um, the word salvation is mentioned 164 times in the Bible. The word grace is mentioned 170 times in the Bible. The word faith is mentioned 247 times in the Bible. The word love is mentioned 310 times in the Bible. That's, all these are things that we focus on a lot, and we should. But the word blood, listen to this, is mentioned 447 times in the Bible. My goodness. 
So if you combined grace and faith, which are two principles that this church is based upon, yeah. it, does, it doesn't even match how many times the word blood is mentioned. My goodness. So, you know, the way I, I mention it to people is if you were to take in, in your Bible and you were to mark with red every time the word blood is mentioned, and then you were to just flip through your Bible, it would look like a book that someone has taken and sprinkled blood upon. Wow. And wow. so um, and so, just to tag into what I'm going to share next week, uh, I won't read it now for time's sake, but Exodus 24, verses 3 through 7, and 2 Kings 23, 1 through 3, the children of Israel referred to the law as the book of the covenant. And... We tend to, the, the Bible is full of many covenants, but I will make the argument next week that ultimately it's all about one covenant, the new covenant. Yeah. And so what I'm going to do next week is rather than, see, because a lot of times when we teach, and we need to, right, the church needs more than anything to understand the differences in the covenants. Sure. Um, but next week, more than folk look at the differences, we're going to look at the similarities. Amen. Because when Paul and Jesus and Peter and John read the Old Testament, they didn't see something outdated, something worthless, something on, useless. They seen the gospel. Come on. They found the gospel. Yes, sir. And because they understood the word, the world of covenant, they understood what was for them, what wasn't for them. But even what wasn't for them, they looked at it and said, I see the gospel. Come on, man. So, um, I want to read one more verse, and then I'm done. Psalm 25 and verse 14, it says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. We know if you compare scripture to scripture, we could say worship. So the secret of the Lord is with them that worship him, and he will show them his covenant. I think like the Amplified says, um, he will show them the secrets of the covenant. But there are many ways we can relate to God that are intimate and that, that we can learn a lot. Jeremiah's already mentioned we, we can relate to God as sons and daughters and he's our father. That's, that's great. We can learn from him as he is our teacher and we are his students. We can relate to him as he is our rabbi and we are his disciples. But you know the most intimate way we can know God is as his blood covenant friend. Wow. Wow. And I'm going to bring that out next week good, and just to, sh to tell you why I say that. Like, how can that be more intimate than a father and a son? Because Abraham was willing to lay down his son's life for his covenant friend. God was willing to lay down the life of his son for his covenant friend. Wow. You and I. So the most intimate way we can know God is as a covenant friend. And if you struggle to understand that next week, that's really what I plan to, to preach on and minister to, and I think it'll be a blessing. Amen. So. Thank you. Thank you, man. That was so good. So good. I'm so looking forward to that. I'll be here next week. I'm not preaching out anywhere. Felt led not to go anywhere. Um, had had an option of going somewhere, and, and the Lord just pulled me in, so I'm right here. So I feel like God's going to do something special with these two messages. And um, in closing, I just, I feel the heart of God for, for, um, for people that are preaching this and who are good people and who've just been led astray. And I just want to pray for them. So, Father, I just lift up everyone who's embraced uh, this, whether they're a minister or they're 
um, you know, someone who's would consider himself a disciple or, or, or whatever, anyone who's embraced this, Lord, I just, I lift them up unto you. And Lord, I just thank you that your heart towards your children never changes. And Lord, I thank you that, that, that by the hammer of the truth of the Word of God, that they'd be set free from any trap and ensnare and deception of the enemy. And I'm here to tell you, the only way out is humility. You can pridefully hold on to your viewpoint and exalt it above Scripture, but it will not produce life. It will not produce fruit. Because it does not honor Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, the one thing the Father requires of us is that Jesus would be honored. So Lord, I just I lift them up, lift up anyone who may have been swayed by this or moving in that direction. And I thank you as the loving Father that you are, as the shepherd that you are, you have a rod of correction. And it's not out of anger. It's not out of judgment. It's not out of condemnation. It's a loving Father saying that is not the way of truth. So Lord, like Grant shared, we in awe and in worship hold these mysteries, Lord God. Not understanding everything about all of them, Lord. But Lord, I just thank You for the stewardship that You've given to us. And Lord, let everything that we say and do honor the work of the cross. And Lord, I just thank You for a correction in this reformation so that we would not leave the wells that our fathers dug before us. And we would not disrespect those that went before us. They didn't have all truth, but we're standing on their shoulders. And I thank You that we maintain a culture of honor and respect down through the generations so that the baton can be passed and we can build upon things. Not constantly have to deconstruct. And so Lord, I thank You for that honor and that respect and that meekness and humility. And as I stand here before Everyone that I'm standing before make no claims to know everything about God. And anyone who does is a fool. God's too big for any man to understand fully. We all are learning. We all are students. And in humility, we seek truth. Lord, I just thank you for an air of humility. I think the arrogance and the pride would be fl- and the intellectualism would be flushed out of this reformation. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Definitely a different type of service. So um, with that, if you, if you guys would like to, to give and to sow into this ministry, uh, we'll get an offering envelope to you. Uh, those of you that do give and support this ministry, I just want to say thank you. Uh, we are in the process of upgrading all of our media stuff. Thank God for Michael and and, and uh, you know, the, the upgrades and stuff that are coming, and, and, and you guys that give into this ministry, y'all are helping make that happen, and we're about to have a, have a much better stream, and, you know, we, we've been, my wife and I, we've been very careful to guard against perfectionism, uh, because we, we, we never want the church to be a show, and uh, we never want it to be a performance, and so we've delighted in the imperfections and the rawness of what we do here. Yeah, we like that, and so, and I don't actually don't want that to change. I want, I want there to be a kid to run through and a car, and I want, you know, I want people to be themselves, and I want it because it, it it needs to be raw to some level. But in the very same breath, 
it's time to upgrade our stuff so that we can have better. So we're in the process of doing that. And those of you that are giving, you're helping make that happen. Thank you. Lord, we just ask you to bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So...